Doreen Grand Pichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet and we excuse, we've got a little bit of a late start because there's a lot going on here, but we're very excited to be here. We're live in our new studio. We're still working out some bugs, hardened our uh, paint and tape and, and everything. This is so exciting to me. It's wonderful. And good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Well, and I didn't even introduce you. I did say I'm here with Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, um, who I'm always excited to be with because, you know, Thank I think you, that you are the light and the sun and the stars. Oh, and I love you. And Thank you things. so much. Uh, it's true. And uh, she's going to be here with us for the next hour answering your questions in real time. So we are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, and Twitter, and about a dozen other places. And eventually, uh, Traven, our fabulous Traven, who is working so hard to make all this happen, will put up on the screen for you all the different ways that you can be watching the show live or recorded, because, you know, we are a podcast. We are, in fact, the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. So I hope that you guys will tune in, check out. One new thing that we've been saying in the last month is that Previously, we were putting on iTunes, we gave you your choice to download for free, either just the audio or the audio and the video. And um, now we're, we've made a shift and we're offering you audio only, audio only, <laughs> only on iTunes because uh, we're sort of doubling down with YouTube for our video portion because YouTube has a lot of really exciting things going on. And there is a new YouTube channel that is just Ask Dr. Doreen. Uh, so that's a pretty fabulous thing. So if you want to watch us in video, YouTube really is our preferred place where we would like you to catch that. You can get that free there as well. You can even get that on your smart TV. So we super love that. And, uh, and then if you want to do audio only because you're going for a walk or you're going to take us in the car with you, then please, please, please do that through iTunes. And I will ask to please give us a review on iTunes because that always makes it, you know, more people find us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and most of the time when you're listening to a podcast, you're not necessarily looking. Yeah. So, yeah. Because, yeah. You, you know, maybe you're doing the dishes or, you know, yeah. any one of the 85 million things that we all do that you need, 100%. right, that you need your focus on other things. So however you want to consume our content, we're thrilled that you guys are here. And especially for this hour, Ask Dr. Doreen, we've been doing this show together, Dr. Grampy Shea and I, for over a decade. So all of those shows are archived. You can go to the Autism Network, just go autismnetwork.com and you go on content and you can see there's a tab for Ask Dr. Doreen for podcasts and you can search by topic and find answers there. So awesome. But we are taking uh, questions live this morning, and I wanted to get to one. First, I didn't give the disclosure. See, I'm all thrown off because oh, I'm no. here with you, I and know. you're just you're the sun, the moon, and the stars. <laughs> um, so I get all thrown off. I do have to give the disclaimer. Dr. Grampichet has been working in the field of autism for over 40 years mm -hmm. and working with all kinds of individuals from very young babies up through senior citizens. She is a remarkable human being who has this unerring ability to see the individual and to listen with all of her senses, all the things we talk about here on the show, to hear and see what's going on with them, to help them to get to the things that are important to them and to their family. And you also have been someone who's been instrumental in taking care of the families and the caregivers to help them to deal with all the things that come along with this, right? Yeah. The yeah and there's a lot that comes along with there this. There is a lot sure, that comes yeah. along with it. Yeah. And you're kind and compassionate and caring. And I, I am the beneficiary of all of that. Thank you, Shannon. Personally yeah. and my son as well. So I'm forever grateful. And, and I know that so many of you are because you write and tell me how grateful you are for Dr. Grampichet. So she is an expert in this field. I believe the expert in this field. But even at her level, there is no expert who could give individual specific advice in this format. So we all accept that. We ask you to write in your questions, be as specific as possible. And if you're watching live, it's ideal because then Dr. Grampichet can ask you more questions. And sometimes we get a little further and, and it gives you something to take back to the experts where you are to see 
you know, if you can get to someplace further, whether you're the person on the spectrum or you're the caregiver or the the sister or the aunt or the boyfriend, you yeah, know. Or, or the individual who's yeah. asking for help. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. We want uh, to make sure that you have a place that you can come and feel safe to ask questions. <laughs> so I do want to get to a question that we had that was sent in that I promised, and I saw that they're here um, watching. They said, first, a uh, huge thank you and lots of love from Holland to you both. I watch your show religiously, and you have helped me navigate autism and open my eyes on so many things that help my four-year-old son. Mm -hmm. My son was diagnosed at the age of three and a half uh, with autism. He is now four and a half and just started ABA and doing great. Congratulations. He speaks in words and very small sentences in three languages. How about that? Mm -hmm. Arabic, English, and Dutch as we use the three languages at home fluently. He's a very happy boy. He can read and spell words. He does not like to write, but uses the iPad to tick all the things he wants to search and to watch on the iPad. His favorite is SpongeBob. Uh, we just recently uh, were at an event with Clancy Brown, and all of the kids that were there were going crazy because he's the voice of Mr. Crab. Uh, he also likes Paw Patrol and Pac-Man, to name a few. The therapist uh, here says that he has mild autism and that he's extremely extremely smart. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's the issue. He sleeps well, usually through the night and is diaper free since the age of three. He sleeps in his room. When it is bedtime, we go to the toilet, wash our teeth, take him to bed. We sing a song, cuddle. I say good night. But last time, for the first time, he had a nightmare mm -hmm. and she couldn't snap him out of it. He kept saying stop in his sleep and mm -hmm. crying. Uh, they held him and gave him kisses and shook his head and he was not waking up from the dream. His father used water on his face and only then did we manage to get him to wake up a little. He quickly closed his eyes and went back to the nightmare, which lasted about 15 minutes of continuous crying. This is the first time this has happened and it worried me so much that I couldn't snap him out of his sleep. He woke the next day cranky and was not himself. Uh, please help me on what we should do if uh, if the nightmare returns. And they said, thank you so much for your help and support. Sure. And, of course, um, it's kind of pretty scary, I can imagine, when um, your child has that kind of a reaction in the middle of the night. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Why isn't he waking up? And I am not sure that it was a nightmare, and I think if it was my child, I would want to make sure that it, there's nothing else going on. So I think, and I don't know how easy or difficult it is in Holland. I'm guessing it's not that easy. But I would recommend that you try to get what's called a sleep EEG. So it's an electroencephalogram during sleep. So that means you have to find a sleep clinic Usually, these places are connected to universities. Um, you can contact whatever university you are closest to and see if they have a sleep disorders clinic. Um, what you're looking for is whether or not there was some sort of subclinical seizure going on. Um, given that he is high-functioning, he could have been trying to say he wants to end the seizure feeling. Um, so I, I guess I would want to rule that out. I'd really want to check and make sure there's not a seizure going on. That would be my number one concern. If it is clear and there's no seizure activity, then don't worry because you're not going to—a nightmare is not going to do any kind of harm. And all you can really do during—if it occurs again, uh, just hold him. It's okay. It's like sleepwalking. Sometimes kids sleep very, very deeply. They have a hard time waking up from it. Don't let it scare you. But, you know, the only scenario where it could be anything scary is if it's not a nightmare, if it's a seizure happening. So the other thing—and um, obviously he's with you most of the day because he's only four and a half, I believe. Yes, um, but, you know, make sure that there's nothing bad happening in any of the environments that he's in. For instance, if he goes off to school, because remember, nightmares are usually a reflection of something that has happened during the day. So uh, just make sure that he's in a safe environment with loving people during the day as well. And then I think you should 
probably there's nothing else to really worry about. Did yeah. you have a thought on that too? Well, Sean? I mean, the only thing that I think is that uh, what I what I got from your letter, and which I so appreciated, um, was we go through these things where something like it feels like everything is going along, and yeah, and everything suddenly something, and and you feel like. There's a moment where, as a parent, you feel like, okay, I think maybe we have this. Yeah. And then something happens. Yep. And and all of the fear that we had from before comes whoosh, right back. Yeah. Yep. And we and we get into this moment. I used to say all the time to our supervisor, if it, because the thing with my son was that my son had skills and then lost them. And it's a normal part of later on, I, I guess, I don't know, just autism, but it may be in all kids where, you know, he would get a skill and then we would move on to something else. But maybe that other skill would start to regress a little bit. Sure. And our team would catch it and they would go, oh, that's regressing. So we're going to go back and get that. And I would full on panic yeah, because I would think it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. And yeah. all of the fear and all of the angst of I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. crushingly would come back. Mm -hmm. And I and that's really what I got from this letter was this poor mom that things are going so well and now we've had a nightmare and and you're caught in the fear of it and the grip of it. Oh no, what is this? Absolutely. And it's so interesting because that fear is just such a big deal, right? It's like it controls us in so many ways yes. and it's all really in our head. Um, I do want to say a couple of things if I can add to it. It's not so like for me the when you go through this experience. I mean, if I I wish I could see your child because when you see a child and they go through a subclinical seizure, the thing that made me actually think of the seizure yeah. was what mom wrote and said the next day he was fully exhausted. Yeah, because you're like burning massive amounts of glucose. You're going to be so tired the next day after a seizure. That's why, for me, it's like okay, let me find out if it is a seizure. And by the way, I don't need you. I don't want to make you scared of a yeah. seizure. Is I think the the key to this. You know, we the more we know. A lot of times, I have parents who come in and. They kind of, it's almost like they're afraid to really know the answer yeah. because it's like one more thing to deal with, as yeah. you said, Shannon, and it's one more scary thing to deal with. But I want to say, like, knowing more leads to answers. So if it is a seizure, please don't be afraid. First of all, sometimes our kids actually only have a few seizures and they run, they, it finishes before they're older. Like, they just don't have any more once they become you know, eight or 10. Sometimes you will find out about the seizure and there's a medication that you can take that mm -hmm. controls it forever. Sometimes you'll find out that, oh, just a simple dietary change will stop the seizures and will lead to better awareness, better learning. So there's a lot of, you know, knowing is, is very important and um, you will be able to definitely work with it, treat it, and take care of it if it should be a seizure. But the other thing that I wanted to say is, and I love that he is learning three languages, that's beautiful, but this is going to be a little hard, but I would recommend so there's, that you drop down to one language initially, and I'll explain why. It's up to you, really, but Here's what happens. Bilingualism or trilingualism, just by factual uh, research, shows that it slows down language development. So any person who learns two languages or three languages will slow down in their acquisition. That's just the way it is. So uh, depending on how vocal he is and how expressive he is, one thing you could do to slow to speed up his language acquisition is to select one language rather than three now uh right now he's mostly at home for instance and he will uh some, most of the time when kids are trilingual there will be certain expressions that they say for instance that he says in arabic certain things that he might answer in Dutch and certain things that he might answer in English or express in English. And once he goes to school and then only has, let's say, Dutch-speaking teachers, although in Holland English and Dutch are very common, mm -hmm. 
um, he might say something in Arabic and someone else won't understand, and then it will frustrate him because he'll be like, what's going on? I've always used this word. So I think maybe bringing it down to Dutch and English might help as well. Uh, you know, if you don't want to go down to one language, at least two languages. Yeah. That's one thing that, like, I know for a fact I've seen a lot of my kids. By the way, he can bring back Arabic later, but just to get him to the point where he's fully expressive yeah. and able to say all the things that he wants to say when he wants to say them, then later on you can add more languages. I have, we, as you know, some of our adult uh, kids speak like Spanish and English very fluently yeah. now. But when they were younger, we used to really keep it down to one language. There we go. Uh, she did write back in and say, thank you for your reply. How can I identify a seizure? Now, obviously, we're talking about going in and getting a test for it. Yeah. But if it's something happening at home, how might we know that that's what it is, Dr. You know, Grandpa that's Shane? the issue. Subclinical seizures don't—you can't see. That's why they're called subclinical. You can't see shivering or shaking. It's not a grand mal seizure. So it's yeah. not like you're going to see the same stuff. Um, but there's— unusual brain activity occurring. And that's why you need the EEG to be able to tell you if it is actually happening or not. But correct me if I'm wrong, um, they have different kinds of EEGs where, you know, they can hook you up for 15 minutes, but if you're having a subclinical seizure in the night, that's not going to do it. So are we really, we're really recommending doing an overnight one, yeah, at least I one do. Night. Yeah, because and that's what they will the the doctor will recommend that as well. Yeah. And these days, you know, I'm not sure, but I mean, there are so many such an advance in technology. I wouldn't be surprised that there are devices, you know, that have very very tiny electrodes that could be placed, and he could perhaps come home even. Yeah. Like a lot of these types of EEGs are now mobile, and you can do them at home. Um, like EKGs that you can also wear. Yeah. So uh, perhaps that would be something available to you. I really don't know. But I do recommend that you get in touch with a local, like a sleep clinic. or And I do recommend you go to the university because that's where you will find these more sophisticated sleep clinics. Yeah. We have something in Southern California now where there is a truck that mm -hmm. comes to your house, yeah. and they put the little cap yeah. on your child's head, and then they're parked in the truck across the street. They're not in your house. Your child sleeps in their amazing. bed. Which is amazing, because I think for a lot of us, I think back a million years ago when Nancy Allspot Jackson and I, we had Lisa Ackerman from Tonka mm -hmm. on the show, and our kids were younger. Jem yep. was like eight or nine, which would have meant that Wyatt was nine or ten. And, and we were asking her, like, what are the things that you recommend to families across mm -hmm. the board? And she she said, I think that, you know, before they get to puberty, you should do a baseline uh, EEG. Yep. And, and she said, because we see that, you know, sometimes we catch something that we didn't know was there. Sometimes it's there because later on, if something happens when they hit puberty and there's a chemical change. Anyway, we heard that, you know, two women who are supposed to be paying attention yeah. and neither one of us went and did it. And why? Because we couldn't figure out how to have our child wear a cap overnight and be someplace with strangers. Yeah. And both of us took a pass on it and said, I'll do that later. And as you guys know, if you watch the show, then Nancy's son ended up having a seizure at the age of 18 yeah. and out of nowhere. And what's the first thing they said? Did you do a baseline EEG? And, and you know, she yeah. kicks herself on a daily basis now. But, you know, the the end of the story is that Wyatt went on a special diet. Wyatt is on some medication, and, and Wyatt had one more seizure after that. But, but that's when they changed the diet. Yep. yep. And is totally fine, and yep. there we are. Yeah. But Nancy wishes that she'd done that baseline. EAG. But you know what? It's okay, because, like, honestly, it's not... It's just... It's such a... It is a difficult procedure, right? And yeah. hopefully by now it's gotten easier. I don't know. How much easier? Some it places, is now. in some in some ways, but yeah. we don't know in Holland. But and I I do want to say that like one of the wonderful things is that you know Europe does have very significant medical advances that sometimes we are behind. Like yeah. you know they there's already much more development in stem cell treatments and things yeah. like that in Europe. So find out and and I'd be interested to know if it is a possibility for you to get an easy sleep EEG.
There we go. Now, Carl had written in to us the other day and said um, that he wants someone to make a documentary which explores autism by asking the question, what is it like to be neurotypical? And Mm. they said, I would gladly participate. And I'm assuming, Carl, that you want us to ask people who are on the spectrum, what does it mean to be neurotypical? I find that a fascinating. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think anybody's ever done that. No, absolutely. To, and now I want to go and ask all of my friends. I was the one. I, yeah, honestly, it's so motivating to like, oh, I wonder what they think of this. Yeah, what would they say? What does that what does yeah. that look like to them? Uh, I was listening to a, a thing the other day where they had recorded children being asked, what does hatred mean? Aww. What does bigotry mean? What do, and, and they were like, I don't know. Aww. I don't know what any of those things are. And it just really drove home yeah. how we add those things in later on. Um, Okay, someone else has written in and said, I was diagnosed with autism when I was age five. Mm-hmm. I hate that about myself, and I never tell anyone. The only friends I ever made in my life have autism. I'm almost 22. All my autistic friends are like 21 to 25, but they act like they're 10 years old and don't want to do the stuff that I want to do, like go on vacation without our parents and go out late at night and drink. I really want non-autistic mm-hmm. friends, and Target is the only place where I'm around people my age. I started working there last November, and I think the only people who who like me here are the TLs. Now, I'm not sure I know what the TLs are. Mm. Uh, It seems every other uh, TM are friends, oh, uh, team members, okay, team leaders maybe, are friends with each other but me. I'm like the quietest person here. What am I supposed to do? When someone is in the break room, am I supposed to just start talking to them? I do shipping all day, and I feel like it's hard to make friends because I'm always moving around alone. I just, I, you know, I love this question, not, I, you know, I, I, I hate that this is what this person is going through, but the brilliance of this individual, yeah. which is so clear in the question that they're asking, yep. it, it pierces my heart. It does. Me too. I agree completely. There's so much I want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so Where do we I'm, start? I'm Let's gonna, dig I'm going to try to touch so many different aspects of what you just wrote. Um, first of all, I want to, I want to start with the whole, I'm, you know, being sad about the diagnosis and I I don't want you to be sad about the diagnosis or feel what, what was the word they used? I'm so mad at it or I'm so, I hate that about myself. Please, no one should ever hate any part of themselves. And that includes you. You should not hate any part of you. You have to love every part of you. We are all coming from the same place. We're all part of God, and there's nothing that you should hate about yourself. Uh, And especially in this day and age, like right now, there are so many wonderful opportunities for you, and, and you will discover your unique talents and your unique strengths, I promise you. Right now, you're so focused on wanting to fit in, which is totally fine. And it's a normal human thing to want to fit in, right? And so it sounds to me like you haven't found your tribe. And you have to start there. You have to find the group of people that make you feel good about yourself. Uh, You know, I'll be honest. If I tried to fit in with a group of my former clients who are brilliant people in the robotics and data analysis world, if I tried to fit in with them, and they all have a a diagnosis, by the way, uh, I would feel pretty bad about myself. I'd feel pretty dumb because they are very intelligent, incredible people who know robotics and machine learning and all this sort of stuff. And I could be sitting in that room feeling like, good Lord, when do I even say something? I don't know. I'd feel the same way you feel right now. So clearly you have to find a different tribe. And so let's just start with that. Because once you find your own tribe, you feel a lot more 
um, self-confidence, you feel a lot more comfortable, you begin to enjoy the day-to-day, -day. You're, so, you're much less self-conscious and worried about everything that you do being right or wrong or being judged or all that. So we have to find your tribe. Now, the way to find your tribe is to stop focusing on the things that are hard for you and and you know and by the way it looks like you've like you're lost in the middle of two tribes which is individuals who are kind of uh, on the spectrum and maybe have more severity or more issues to deal with than you do and then individuals who are neurotypical and or you know not really understanding the world of autism i don't know but Let's, let's just leave all those other, because there's millions of tribes out there. Let's just talk about your tribe and what is your tribe. So what are your strengths? What are the things that you enjoy doing? What are you good at? Uh, could be music, could be art, could be sports, could be reading, could be facts, geographic facts, could be memorizing visual things, could be, as I said, robotics, computer science. Uh, yeah, it could be anything, colors, I mean, you name it. It could be whatever it is you are good at. And usually we're good at things that we enjoy doing. So what are some of your hobbies? What are the things that you would do if you had free time? Find people who are doing those things. Don't worry about their, their social level, their skill level, what's right with them, what's wrong with them. Just find the people that you enjoy doing stuff with. And in that group, when you are all doing things together, you're not going to be so worried about, do I just keep talking to them? Do I go and approach them? Do I not? Whatever. So first find that group and let's get really comfortable and uh, engage in activities where you just feel comfortable and those are the right things for you. Once you have that and you start to feel a little bit better about yourself and you're not coming from a place of desperation, because like whenever we're coming from a place of depression or desperation, we try so hard to fit in that other people are like, whoa, you're trying too hard, you know? Yeah. So just find your group first. Then we can talk about how to interact with people in different tribes. Because that's a whole nother thing as well. I mean, I have my own tribe. And then when I, and I, obviously I have to interact with other people all the time. And I will do it in spurts, right? I can't do 10 hours of interacting socially with, other, with people who are different. But I can definitely do it a couple of hours. And um, I, I have learned the rules around it, you know, like, oh, the, everybody likes to, like, sit outside and watch sports. I'm going to do that, I guess, <laughs> for an hour, you know, yeah. and talk about that. But that's but so then then when you're at work and you're thinking to yourself, do I want to how do I interact with the folks in the lunchroom? Yeah, you'll throw out a couple of sentences. You'll listen more than uh you know, express. First, listen. Listen to the things these people are talking about. Notice, like, how, the length of their dialogue. Because in a lunchroom, they're not best friends, you know? They're just colleagues. So they're just throwing out a couple of social sentences to each other. And then when they're done with those, like, social things, they walk back to their desk and they do their thing. Then they'll come back and they might say, oh, did you see such and such on TV? What did you think? Wasn't that great? It's just, it's social nothingness, really. It's not deep conversation. When you get the deep friendships and the deep conversation is when you have found your own tribe. So again, you got to go back and focus on that. And I promise you, you will find people who are very similar to you who want to do those trips, who want to, you know, uh, are independent like you are and enjoy the same things. It, I, I think that this is the roadmap to all happiness for all people, right? Absolutely. Finding your tribe. Absolutely. We see this over and over again. And I, 
you know, it's one of the reasons why I sort of missed the Big Bang Theory. I just, like, didn't watch it at all. I missed it. And, and then somebody said, oh, you know, there's just, like, a through line of autism through the whole thing. And, oh, and they yeah. don't necessarily love it. But um, I started watching it. And then I became addicted to it because what it is is a group, it's a tribe of people who have found each other. Yeah, totally. Whether they're on the spectrum or not, but they've found each other and they don't fit in other places. Yep. But they totally fit in with this tribe. And That's I think right. it's what we're all looking for. Can I be honest? I feel like, well, I did find my tribe in theater and I recommend doing theater for everyone because... The thing I love about theater is is that no matter who you are, what you are, there's a job for you in theater, right? Yeah. You might be the person who's on the stage or in front of the camera, or you might be the person who's painting the set, or you might be the person who's ushering people to their seats. There are all kinds of roles in theater. There's something for everyone. Whatever yeah. you're good at, yeah. there's some skill set that can be used in theater. And there is an expression in theater that once you step into the world of theater, you're allowed to... You're allowed to fly your freak flag however you want to, <laughs> yeah. right? And and that everybody, there is an acceptance of that yep. in, in a theater crowd. We just Definitely. watched the Tonys, and it was like the freak flag was, was flown high all night long. And, of course, I thoroughly enjoy that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think... I think the people who are making it look like they fit in, in all cases, are doing just that, making it look yeah. like they fit in. And they're trying so hard. It takes so much effort. Yeah. Well, that's Temple so Grandin effort. just recently said to us, she said, you know what's exhausting to me is having to make small talk. Yep. She said, I would, I, like, I just don't get it. And she goes, and I don't understand why people want to sit around like, you know, a lounge and make small talk. Like, yep. what is in it for you people? I yep. don't get it. Yep. And I thought, oh, don't we all sort of feel that way? I don't think we do, Shannon. That's the interesting really? thing. I mean, like, so, you know, you know my husband. He's, yeah. he's quite different than I am. And if you let, he will always choose a social gathering environment. He mm -hmm. will sit and talk for... 10 hours mm. and I think to myself and I just sit there honestly and I try very very hard to be that person yeah and it's just not me like I will do a couple of hours of social because I really enjoy people yeah but I I enjoy solitude as well yeah and I have to have that I have to have it otherwise after the first two hours oh. all I'm doing is analyzing and trying to figure out why I don't enjoy it do you know what I mean? That's I'm like, hilarious. Why am I here? What am I going to do? Like, you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. So it's kind of like you have to find the things you're comfortable with, you're good at, and just live your own life. And then your tribe, I mean, my tribe really was, I think, CARD, right? Yeah. When we were at CARD, that was my tribe. Yeah. And since then, I had like, oh, it's like three years or so that I'm out of CARD. And, of course, I've maintained a lot of relationships and close friendships, but I think I'm, I'm in a very different space. Yeah. But I'm fine with it because, like, I have ways to entertain myself. I have my family, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But it is super important, when, especially when you're a young individual, yeah. that you find your tribe because nobody wants to go through life feeling like they're role-playing yeah you know but I'm hearing this a lot from uh, there's a specific group of young people who feel like they're trapped between the two worlds yeah that they don't quite fit in yep. with the the neurotypicals and they don't quite fit yep. in with the people that are on the spectrum and that there's there's sort of sandwiched in between and aren't entirely sure what to do it's tough uh, absolutely I totally get it and you know, I want to say that 20 years ago or 30 years ago, there was no tribe for autism. Yeah. So I'm very, very happy that there are now uh, groups of individuals who are uh, openly autistic and have their own activities. Yeah. And I love that. You don't necessarily, autism is a huge spectrum, and you don't necessarily have to fit into that. Yeah. You are who you are, and you don't need a label to define where, who, what your tribe is. Like, I love that you used um, that show. What's the name? Big of Bang. Theory. Big Bang Theory, which I love, by the way. Yeah. It's hilarious, but because they are all quite different. Yeah, they're all very, very different. different, and 
Um, yeah, so you don't necessarily need to have a group of people who are on the spectrum or off the spectrum. There can be people who are on other spectrums. You exactly. Know, as far as you, it's just a matter of finding people who have the same kind of activities, hobbies, and going in and enjoying time with them and then doing stuff to enjoy yourself. Yeah, right before my son started high school, I got to sit in because you had Liz Logason mm -hmm. from the Peers um, group come in and train uh, a group of people at CARD. At CARD, right. And I got to sit in on one of the sessions, and it was the session where she was saying about, you know, how what are the ways that we create a billboard to tell other people what we're interested in? Yes. And that our clothing is one of the ways that we do this. And my son was, that was the summer before he was starting high school, and she said, you know, a lot of times with school uniforms, you don't really get as much of a billboard space. So you really got to be thinking about what's on the backpack or what's yep. on the whatever. So we knew he had a school uniform. We knew that there was two days that they do a boot camp for the freshmen where they go, they actually get on a bus and they go to a, a college campus, mm -hmm. the freshmen, the high school freshmen for two days and spend this time together and get to know the faculty and get to know each other. And they don't wear the school uniform for that. Mm -hmm. And so I went to my my son and I was like, we got to find two t-shirts that like have some video game character on it that not everybody would know that you're really into. And so we spent the whole summer looking for these two t-shirts. Interesting. After the first day, he got off the bus. And of course, you know, I practically needed to be sedated because I was like, I hope this goes well. He got <laughs> off the bus and he, he was like already in a chat with 12 guys yeah. Yeah. because they were like, hey, you like that game? Oh my gosh. And then they all sat together, and he is st these guys are going to go to each other's weddings. But they they it. were cemented on day one because of because a T-shirt. Yeah. Yep. So you got to figure out how how to let the world know how you make a billboard to let other people know what your tribe you is. Are. I love that, Shannon. I yeah. love that. That's so interesting because Isn't if it? you think about it, yeah. Because if you think about, it, like, I have a massive collection of T-shirts, right? Just mm -hmm. because. I kept every T-shirt from every concert. We I need ever to make you to. a T-shirt quilt. I know, right? Right. I mean, I love like all these old, old, old concerts. I'm just so attached to these T-shirts, yeah. though, that I don't know if I would ever want to like put them in a quilt because I'm worried about them disintegrating. Yeah. I mean, I got to no, tell you, some of these T-shirts are like from the 70s, I know. right? And so, but they do. They they they're they're a billboard to who I am. Yeah. Right, and it's yes. so interesting that you put it that way because, every, like, I look at my kids, and obviously who are adults now, but what they wear is definitely a billboard to who they are. It I absolutely love saying is. it that way. That's a very interesting thing. Well, I look at my friend Rachel Bird, Kobe Bird's mom. She's going to be joining us. We're going to be doing a show with her once a month um, that's that's really fun. And Rachel, you will find out, is a little bit of a Disney fan. And I say that ironically because she's a lot of a Disney okay. fan. And she... You know, so she'll have leggings on and they have hidden Mickeys on them. And her purse is some, you know, Aspects of some Disney. movie from Disney. And her wallet is something. And her earrings are something that, yeah. Disney. Yeah. And you know what? I, whenever I go someplace with her, she's a social butterfly, but we'll go someplace and someone will go, Are your earrings Disney? And she's like, Oh, and then. Forget it. They're, then all of a sudden she knows, she finds out like their grandmother's recipe for something. Yeah. And they're having this conversation that started with that thing yeah. because they know she's a Disney fan. And yeah. I watch it over. I'm like, what were you talking to them? <laughs> she, oh, it turns out that, you know, yeah. and, and she leads this rich social life. But she is always flying her Disney flag somewhere. So, but so, like, that's also, like, I love that, and I find that very interesting because, you know, and most likely she truly enjoys having that conversation. She does. And one of the things I've noticed with some of my adult kids is that, uh, or adult recovered kids, is that they, it's almost like they have practiced for so many years to have dialogue, but I feel like it's not really interesting to them. They're just forcing themselves to continue the dialogue. Mm. And, I, you know, our teens do that, to just neurotypical teens do that. Young people do that. Like, I know some, one of my kids will, you know, force herself to have conversation, oh. but I know that it's not the true her because she would rather talk about something else. 
But and I just and a certain level of that is of course all necessary and good because we're all social beings and we all have to live by the same social rules. But I want um, the the person who started this uh, whole dialogue. Yeah. I want you to like just find things that you truly enjoy. Because there's nothing like a conversation that's on the topic that you enjoy. Yeah. And then it's just natural. Yeah, exactly. And if you can find another person who you can have that conversation with, that's the person you want to travel with, by the way. That's the person you want to hang out with because, you know, it's you have the same motivations, desires, and, and all of that. But can we say that I think there are all these things that we attach to autism where people say, well, you know, uh, the world will say things like people on the spectrum aren't empathetic. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I think they're the most empathetic people in the world. Or or, or that, you know, because there there is a deficit maybe in social skills that they don't want the social skills. I love that this person is writing and saying that I want the socialization, that I want to go out. A perfect case in point was when we went to the Ed Asner poker tournament the other night. I was on the red carpet and I... I enjoy that. Let's not, you know, I, I enjoy that, but it's a lot for me. Yeah. It's a lot for me. Yeah. It's sensory overload for me. And like you were saying, you can do something for an hour or two. I can do about a couple of hours and that's it. And I'm putting on a little bit of a face. I'm still me, but I'm putting on a face that it's for all sure. okay and that I, I don't feel at all awkward shoving a microphone in your face and asking you things and acting <laughs> like I know you. I'm, I'm pretending. I'm pretending yeah. because inside I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, but, and, and when it was over, my son was there working the event mm-hmm. because he um, works for the Ed Asner uh, Family Center. And so he was there and running around and helping everybody and just working like a dog the whole night. It was fascinating. I was so proud of him. But then the next day I said to him, man, I mean, that really took it out of us, didn't I? I was like, ooh, I can't be doing that every night. That I could not live and do yeah. that every night. And he's like, are you kidding? He loved it. Oh, he was like, that's my favorite. I could do that every day, Mom. Amazing. Wasn't it amazing to be with so many people and so many different people? And, you know, he, he just thought, it, he was like, why was can't we do thing. that every day? Yep. And I was like, no, no, I cannot do that every day. No, I, that would that would be a bad thing That's for mom. Exactly me and Greg. Let me tell you, I'm really. Telling you, yeah. So we'll send we'll send him with Greg, and, and they can go have a good time with that. Okay, I'm going to move on. And you guys, the chat is open. You guys can be asking questions. I'm having some difficulty with it, but it is open if you want to ask questions. Um, dear Shannon and, and Doreen, can uh, can the results of an ADOS test, the severity or level? change with age and ABA therapy. How can we reduce restrictive behavior in children with ASD? Our son is three years and six months, and we have 45 hours of ABA per week right now. Uh, when, when usually can we see progress of his ABA therapy? And thank you very much. What a great yeah. multiple questions. Somebody's so really on that it that you got 45. That tells me you're that on it. That is awesome. Uh, so the very first part of the question, which has to do with ADOS scores, is wonderful. Um, ADOS is the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule, I believe, uh, is the S. And it's the gold standard test for the diagnosis of autism. So that's for our viewers. Um, it certainly can and should change. First of all, there's multiple different types of the ADOS or levels of the ADOS, which have to do with your verbal ability and your age. So uh, that in itself indicates that your score can change, not just on the ADOS, but also on any kind of um, IQ test, language test, etc. That is the whole point of doing any kind of treatment. So if you start with, let's say, a baseline, and often I'll just give an example of, let's say, IQ tests. Often when we do IQ testing, our kids will score, if it's a verbal child, if it's a nonverbal child, a lot of times we have issues with that because they score uh, inappropriately low, and that's only because they have language difficulty, not because of their actual intelligence. But let's say an individual, like I published a study years ago showing the improvement of our kids on on IQ and on the Vineland, which is a, a test of adaptive behavior. 
and um, a, a majority of the kids, you can see that their initial IQ intelligence uh, score, when they're beginning a, a three-, four-year program of intensive ABA, is somewhere around 75 or so, which is, you know, kind of one and a half, almost two standard deviations below the norm. Norm is 100. And then over the course of, let's say, one or two years, the children learn so much, they master so many skills that their score now becomes 100 or even above 100, right? So, yeah, same thing with the ADOS, same thing with any of these standardized tests. That's the whole purpose of testing, is to show that, you know, you can look at tests in two ways. One is, you do a test that tells you the areas that the child needs um, help with, areas that are a little bit delayed that we should be working on. But the bigger, the other reason to test is to show that the results change over time. And that shows that your interventions are working. Because yeah. if you do any kind of treatment and your test results are the same, then it's not necessarily teaching your child anything, the treatment. What's fascinating to me is that you've been talking about this for 20, more, more yeah. than 20 years, and it's still, there are so many people who don't know. I didn't know until I heard you talk about this. I didn't know because we've been told our whole lives that, well, your IQ is static. Once yeah. we get an IQ test, yeah. that's all it ever is, and yeah. you can't hope for more, and that's the end of it. So when your kid gets an IQ, and in our case, it's the like first— so scary, yeah. In our case, we, I, I was so trepidatious. We went in to get the first IQ test, and I was like, what is it? You know, and I almost didn't want to know. I was sick to my stomach. Yeah. And she goes, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's not even valid. We really couldn't test him. And I said, what do you mean? And, and she said, he didn't, he didn't have enough language. He didn't smart. understand enough— to, to like for us to yeah. get a score. Yeah. And I was like, so is that a zero? Yeah. And I was so caught up in the what no is the score yeah. and yeah. thinking that it could never change. Right. Um, but, you know, and then I saw a thing that you had presented where you showed kids that you had worked with and here was their score on this day and then oh, they so did this much ABA later, and this yeah. is their score two, two years later. And I was like, Oh, I'm following her, and I have <laughs> ever since. But that, I mean, that's and it's so interesting because the first, I think, back in I'm trying to remember now, you know, like the very famous Lovas study yes. uh, that came out was 1984, and I think or 87. I always confuse those because Greg's birthday is the other one. <laughs> so I'm like always. I, I think it's 87. 87. Thank you. It's the 87 study. Yes. Yeah. And uh, somewhere around that time, Lovas also had another paper called The Malleability of IQ. And that's, it was all about the fact that that's what we're striving to do here. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell our viewers a secret. When I was at UCLA back in the day, and we were just starting to figure out what do we need to teach our kids. I mean, we had young kids on the spectrum, and we didn't really know, like, what is this? What do we have to teach them? How do we teach them? All that sort of stuff. And we were developing all these protocols and all these techniques, but also we were trying to figure out, like, what to teach. Yeah. Guess where we got it from? We got it from the Stanford Binet IQ test. Ah, so, like, you look at the Stanford Binet and it's asking questions, yeah. like, you know, name all the animals that are blah, blah, blah. That could be a standard lesson. Right. So, all of these types of things obviously can change because you're teaching them. Yeah. Okay, so that was the first part of the question. And then the second part of the question was the fact that you're doing 45 hours of ABA, and I think. You asked, first of all... When can how, you see progress? When can you see progress? And you also asked, how do you approach uh, stereotypic behaviors? Oh, that's right, right. restrictive. Yeah. Yeah, so the restrictive repetitive behaviors, which for the first time I was reading an article the other day and I saw someone refer to it as RRB, and I was like, what is that? Yeah. And there, it's restrictive repetitive behaviors, which are the same thing as stereotypy, stereotypical behaviors, self-stimulatory behaviors, mil millions of names, all to describe behaviors that are repetitive in nature. We can't really tell what is maintaining the behavior. It's some sort of internal function, and they're varied. So, for instance, this would include things like 
everything from body rocking, looking at your fingers, lining up objects, looking at things that, you know, go in a circle, looking at lights from the corner of your eyes, you know, opening and closing doors. I mean, there's a million of these repetitive yeah. behaviors. And the way that they are looked at in the world of ABA, this is such a common question. Yeah. So the world that, the way that people in the ABA world look at these, what they call stereotypies, is that they say they have an internal or intrinsic nature uh, function, which means the child or adult does them to fulfill some internal need that we are not necessarily able to change or able to control. Because remember, in ABA, it's all about changing the antecedents and consequences, the things that happen around a behavior in order to change it, right? So like, uh, I hit you, and then the first question of someone with ABA would say is, why did she hit? Yeah. Well, in this particular case, I hit Shannon because I wanted her water and I'm trying to grab her water. So that would be what's called a tangible function. That means I'm going to, I'm trying to gain an object that Shannon is holding onto and I want it, right? Which a, a child might very well do that. And if, if, a, if they do that, then the way to deal with it, a tangible function in ABA, is to make sure that the child does not get that object, but instead gets the object if they ask for it nicely. And so the, the concept is, the function is, I want to hit you in order to get this. Well, now we have to teach the child, that's not appropriate communication. Right. Don't hit me if you want the object. If you hit me, you're not getting anything. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not a good form of communication. But if you want something, ask for it, and I will give it to you. And that that's does work. the form of communication that works. Now, with self-stimulatory behaviors or repetitive, repetitive uh, stereotypical behaviors, uh, the functions are not things that are observable. Right. So to me, though, the type of the stereotypical behavior can usually tell you a little bit about why it's happening. Um, there are some, I think, that reduce pain. There are some, I think, that produce calmness for the child. There are some that actually allow the child to see things a little bit better. Um, there are, you know, things that are calming, things that are uh, the child is engaging in in order to keep themselves occupied. There's lots of different functions to them. Generally speaking, the way that they're dealt with is they are replaced. They're blocked and replaced uh, by other activities that might be more functional or might be more acceptable. I'll put it that way. So as an example, I don't have a pencil here, but let's say, um, oh, I'll give you an example with my hair. Uh, so let's say individuals on the spectrum might have a repetitive need to, you know, play with sand or play with water or they will like t touch textures a lot or whatever it is. They have a sensory input like need of things like that. Well, guess what? Like a lot of people will do this all day long and it's not classified as a weird, like, you know, self-stimulatory behavior. It's just a behavior that a lot of people have. Yeah. And it's fulfilling the same exact needs, by yeah, the way. Exactly. Uh, people will tap their pencil. People will, you know, do a variety of things. They'll, they'll move their leg back and forth. And that's, so these are just all repetitive. What is that? That's a repetitive, you know, kind of rocking of the, of the legs. So all of these types of things, you can find adaptive or acceptable ways to replace them. So that's kind of what it's in ABA. People will replace the stereotypy. You should see that happening in the first six months, I would say. Now, the last part of the question real quickly was how fast should I, with 45 hours, you should be seeing results almost immediately. Yeah. I'd say in the first month, you should be seeing an increase in compliance. So the child is much more listening, adhering to the, to the things that are being instructed to them or uh, requested of them. And also, um, 
you'll see an increase in communication, yeah. whether it's vocal or non-vocal, but with 45 hours a week of instruction, you'll be seeing pretty rapid results, and that should continue. If there's ever a plateau, it has something to do with the modality of the teaching or with the consistency amongst the team. Like There's something going on with the program, not with your child with the program. So if your child accelerates and then plateaus, there's got to be like a little change in the program just to make it work again. Like they might need new reinforcers or there could be someone in the team that's doing things a little wrong or those types of things. But I don't want to leave out because I love when you talk about this and I have one more question we want to get to before the end. So we got to sure. be quick about this, but um, that sometimes our kids need a little bit of biomedical intervention too to maximize those hours, right? Thank you. Yeah. And those are very, that's a really, really important point. Thank you for bringing that up, Shannon, because sometimes the ABA program is just stuck. Yeah. Um, and earlier we were talking about a, to a parent who brought up the subject of seizures. Yeah. And seizure activity could be one reason the program is stuck. Not sleeping could be one reason the program is stuck. Dietary infringements could be a reason. Uh, having yeast infections, candidiasis, could be a reason. There's a lot of medical reasons as well that we want to make sure we, we take care of, and that will often also accelerate ABA programs. There we go. And we've done many other programs on that, so I encourage you to look at that and feel free to ask questions. Last question, though. Mm -hmm. How can I know if my son has autism or pandas? His symptoms have always been present but get much, much more worse okay. when he is exposed to strep. I got him evaluated twice. The first time I was told to take parenting classes to address concerns of tantrums, social anxiety, rigidity. They are, uh, the person asking the question is a BCBA, uh, and, have, and have been using ABA with him since he was about a year Year old. The second time the evaluator did not seem to be as qualified, he felt he was too borderline to get a diagnosis of autism and instead gave him a, a diagnosis of anxiety. Mm. Uh, he was separately evaluated by a pandas pediatrician who diagnosed him with pandas despite his blood work coming back normal. How would I know if I should continue with ABA or treat this medically or maybe both? Is there a way to clearly di differentiate if the symptoms have always been present. Yeah. What a wonderful question, brilliant question. PANDAS, for our viewers, is, let's see if I get this right, pediatric autoimmune neurological dysfunction associated with strep. There that should go. spell out PANDAS. You're impressive. Like you know, the <laughs> thing with PANDAS, Shannon, that was really interesting for me, obviously I was in the world of autism since the 70s. And then one day, and I, and I'm, but I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist, so I, I, I took a lot of continuing education courses over the years, and I was sitting in a continuing ed course, which, and I was always very interested in, like, uh, medical side of things. So this was, like, I think it was, you know, the neurobiology of the brain or something like that. And the, the person giving the lecture began describing pandas. Mm. And I had never heard of that before. It was like in the, I would say this class was maybe in the late 90s or wow. so. And I and I suddenly woke up, because like these eight-hour yeah. continuing ed courses, you're doing a bunch of other stuff too, right. right? So then I suddenly woke up and I was like, they just described autism. That yeah. was very interesting. So the symptoms that you often see with pandas are very similar to autism in the sense that there's uh, a lot of the same obsessiveness, a lot of the same ritualistic types of behaviors. There are delays that are very similar. Um, and so, you know, and our viewers, you all know, we don't really know right now. We don't have a set etiology to autism. We don't say, oh, this is what causes autism, right? right. There's lots of different theories. There's lots of publications on what could, what it could be, couldn't be. Um, the, the predominant, I guess, field now believes that it has to do with toxicity. Um, and look at, uh, at pandas as being one of many possible causes. That's the way that I look at it. So in other words, uh, ch a child may have been exposed to a strep infection early on, and it altered their brain functioning. 
in a way that altered their learning, and it resembles very much the symptoms of autism. There are other uh, disabilities or disorders, also genetic disorders, that resemble autism very much yeah. and could actually be part of autism, is what I'm saying. So yeah. kids with pandas could be part of the, the whole spectrum of autism. Kids with angelmans could be part of the whole spectrum. There are many other things as well. So it doesn't matter. If I were you, what I would do is I would definitely try to uh, treat the pandas because that's not going to be harmful to your child. And just in case, I would like to, you know, like make sure, maybe see another physician who is a specialist in pandas. But at the same time, you know, do the things you would do to strengthen your child. So give yeah. them ABA, teach them skills, get them going on language, get them going on all the things that they need help with. Just like any neurotypical child would receive tutoring for, for some area that they need help with. Amen to that. We are out of time. We went a little bit over because we started a Great. little bit late, but I just want to say thank you so thank much you so for much. everything. I, I just, anytime I leave my house and go someplace and I see things in the world, I, I'm reminded of how much better my life is because of you. the work thank that you, you do I'm and so who you are. Thank you. So um, I felt that very poignantly this week. So um, I'm so glad that you guys have an opportunity to be here with us. We have lots of interesting things going on here, not the least of which is getting our studio together. Um, but tomorrow, Tomorrow on the show, an amazing guest for the first time on Autism Live. We're having Mary Barbara on, uh, has an amazing podcast of her own, is a BCBA, and can't nice. wait to talk with her about the things that she is doing, um, because there's a lot of people out there who need a whole lot of help. Uh, so we're, we're, we're part of what, uh, trying to make that happen. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow for that show. We'll be back then. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye everyone.